the Incomparable Podcast, number 71, December 2011. Welcome back to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. It is the holiday season as we record this in December, and so we're trying to be a little seasonal. That's why our topic today is holiday movies that we love, not that we hate, that we love. That's why John Syracuse isn't here, because this is all about love, <laughs> not hate. Love. It's the season for love. Love conquers all. Everything is about happiness and goodness, and I'm sure none of us will ever disagree with anybody else's comments. Okay, that's probably a- acting too, asking too much. I agree with you. So to discuss the holiday movies that we love. My lips sp- bleeding, Bert! To spread the love, <laughs> I would like to introduce... My guests, my many, many guests who are going to share the love and spread the holiday uh, holiday joy. Um, first off, Steve Lutz. Hi, Steve. Hey, Merry Christmas, you wonderful drafty old barn. <laughs> so, also joining me, Serenity Caldwell. Hello. Hello, Jason. You don't have a wacky, zany holiday uh, expression to share? No, oh, my I'm God. Not. Did I just do zany? You, you did were just zany. go zany. Oh, dear. I'm I'm going to keep Sorry. the zaniness for the actual movies, and then keep keep the introduction low key. Good. Okay, that gets you one up on Steve. Uh, Glenn Fleischman is also here. Glenn, ha- happy holidays to you. Susan's petals. Susan's petals. My lips bleeding. You're in a uh, you're in a uh, mixed household, are you not? Do you do you not do Hanukkah and Christmas? We're sort of mixed between atheism and something else. I don't know what else it is. So you're celebrating the solstice and the movement of the Earth around the sun. As as a friend of mine asked me in college when she found out I was Jewish, she said, "You don't celebrate Christmas?" No, I said. She said, "Not even commercially." And as I've grown up, I discover in fact that is how we celebrate it. We celebrate Christmas in a commercial spirit. Christmas observed. For our children. Yes. <laughs> For our children. Uh, and then uh, two, two um, visitors who have been on the podcast before and are back to celebrate with us. First off, Dan Frakes. Hi, Dan. Welcome. Hi. You know, I really did think this was the Christmas movies that suck episode. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I'm going to have... ill-prepared. Oh, I'm going to have I to can't. hang up on you. Um, One man's season of wonders, another man's suck. That's... that's <laughs> what, if, if that's what makes you feel the love, is to I watch kid. terrible movies. I Dead. Every episode is a designated uh, Syracuse. Even yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and playing the role of J- John Syracuse yeah. tonight. Yikes. We're, this is American League rules. So, And um, also joining us is a man who loves every Christmas movie and has never said anything negative about any christmas theme movie ever in his life, Mr. Andy Anotko. Hello. Happy New Year to you in jail. Go on home, Jason. They're waiting for you. <laughs> wow. Wow. This is the greatest podcast ever. Already. Isn't it, though? God bless us, everyone! Happy birthday! I just made an angel. <laughs> oh, you two pixies go through the door out the window. Hey, get me. I'm handing out wings. Bert, don't you know me? Those who listen to the Incomparable realize we have no format and I have no organizational <laughs> principle for any episode. This is no different. <laughs> So what I'm going to do is go around um, the, the the table, the virtual table of our panel, and ask them to bring up a uh, a particular movie that they would like to to uh, just slobber all over with adoration and love for the holiday goodness that it brings to all of our lives, or something like that. 
Or at least their own life, right? Exactly right. And then we, of course, what will happen is that the rest of us will sit there and go, yes, yes, absolutely. Or mm, no, maybe not. And that's, uh, then you got a podcast. So let's begin with Glenn Fleischman. Really? I have a modern, it's not a classic exactly, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, there's all the classic films that we do trot out things like Holiday Inn and so forth uh, that we try to watch every year just for fun. Um, but um, I like Elf, Will Ferrell's Elf. And um, I was discussing this with a couple people in the last few days, some of whom do not understand the glory that is Elf because they think of it as kind of a uneven movie that's sort of stupid. And I think they don't quite get the spirit behind it because one of the things that I love about Will Ferrell is his total commitment and on Saturday Night Live, that didn't always work because he sometimes had really terrible characters, but he was totally committed to it. And you, you know, uh, even if you hated the, this is my lover sketch, oh, my lover thing he did with Rachel Dratch, I kind of hated that one, but he was all there. And in Elf, he's uh, uh, a child who is uh, accidentally found um, by or, or sort of left, uh, I don't know, left behind or something or adopted, he winds up being raised at the North Pole by... Uh, by Bob by Newhart. By Bob Newhart, who's awesome. <laughs> by elves. And he thinks he's an elf, and he finds that he's adopted, even though he's, you know, six and a half foot tall, and all the other elves are three feet tall. Uh, you know, rather late in his uh, childhood and uh, his 20s, and he's not as good at elfy things. So he goes to seek out his, uh, his real parents, his biological parents, and finds his mother is gone, and his father is, of course, uh, uh, James Caan. And of course. It's... Um, I find the movie, and it's just some great, and it's a Mary Steenburgen, right, is the, is the mom, and um, there's, uh, you've got Ed Asner playing Santa Claus, it's a crazy movie, it's not, you know, it, it's, oh, and I forget, of course, there's a love interest, I shouldn't, and sort of slowly forgetting, it's, uh, um, I always want to say Zoe Deschanel, but it is not Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> oh, it is. No, it is Zoe Deschanel. It is, in fact, Zoe Deschanel. In this case, your, your instinct is correct. I wanted to say Scarlett Johansson, Zoe Deschanel, in, a, in one of her Faye roles. And I think the movie, it's a, it's a lot of fun because, uh, you know, Will Ferrell, his character believes he's an elf, and, and Santa Claus exists, and there are elves. So it's not played for mugging, which are terrible movies. It's not played as farce exactly, although there's a lot of slapstick and farcical things. He's an elf. He's trying to seek his dad. And James Caan is awesome because James Caan is doing a James Caan role. He's kind of a hard ass, and he doesn't really dig the whole thing, and he doesn't believe anything that Buddy, the elf, played by Will Ferrell, is saying for a while until he starts to come around and it's this great thing it's like it's oh my god that's you know mf and james con there being kind of james con and because of that <laughs> the film i think it kind of holds together um and it's got some great scenes it's got some stupid stuff in it of course <clears throat> but there's some lovely bits and there's just nice um little things where buddy the elf winds up essentially he has a job at, at a department store or he thinks he has a job at a department store and he just starts working there because that's where santa is all the elves, and he stays overnight in the store and creates, of course, because he is, you know, he's been trained by elves, he creates in the most crazily ridiculous over-the-top display, uh, and no one can figure out, you know, who did it, and they figure corporate corporate has sent down someone to do this because they weren't, you know, sufficiently cheerful enough or something. Uh, and, of course, it has the obligatory Zoe Deschanel in a shower scene, which every movie she appears in, I believe, contractually has to have her in a shower. Uh, she's in Hitchhiker's Guide in a shower, I'm sure, you know. Every film I can think of, she's in the shower, and and that's in there too. I agree, though that that every every movie that Zoe Deschanel is in should have a shower scene with her in it, and not Will Ferrell. I think the movie's fun. Do people the people like Elf? Because I don't know if I'm, we we watch it every year. We bought it. and We watch it every year. I like I like Elf a lot. I love Elf. 
I, I think it's great. Uh, I watched it for the first time a couple of years ago, and I, I do like it. I, I like it, it. It accepts its own absurdity. You're right in saying that Will Ferrell commits. That's actually the thing I love about Will Ferrell, and he's made a lot of bad movies, and he's made some good movies. But I think his best attribute is that he fully commits and will do any level of ridiculousness that is required. And even if I don't like the movie that I'm watching, if I will often just smile at the fact that Will Ferrell is doing everything possible um, <laughs> to try and make it work. Yeah, he and does not phone it in. He is there. No, he no. He paid in the money. He's there. The movie may suck, but he is there. And this character of Buddy the Elf is fully committed to Christmas, right? He's insanely maniacally committed in a way that no regular person would be. And that's Unless why, right? Exactly, and that's <laughs> why, and that's why it works. And and um, I, I wanted to bring up. I mean, there's the, there's a hilarious scene where um, Peter Dinklage is mistaken by Buddy for a real elf. <laughs> he's he's an angry elf. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I like. There's a scene that that I love that where he gets a job and it's like in the boiler room. It's yeah, the he mail starts room. the mailroom. James Con sends him down to the mailroom to do sorting to keep him out of his hair. Which which is a classic Christmas show, yeah, uh, exactly. from Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, right? Exactly, but it's but it's like the the mailroom is hell. It is like the worst place in the world. And Buddy it's not the very Elf, shiny, no. And Buddy the Elf is turned on. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I agree. I, I I love Elf. It's a good movie. I think the thing that's exactly the thing I like uh, so much about it. I mean, it's it's the only recent uh, holiday film that I can think of that's really true to the spirit of the the older classics, and uh, and it has a lot of kind of nifty little references to. To the older films, like I'm pretty sure that the the mailroom was there because it was you know it was featured in uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, yeah. Street, exactly. Yeah. And uh, actually, I, I watched it last night because uh, I hadn't seen it in a while, and and noticed a couple of good little bits of trivia in the in the credits. Um, playing uh, one of the polar bear cubs at the beginning uh, when he's uh, in the North Pole, and there's various uh, animals in stop motion animation. Ray Harryhausen. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that's. I, funny. I think he has maybe two lines, but you know, it's it's just super cool that they've got this sort of uh, you know stop motion animation going on, and there's Ray providing the voice instead of uh, instead of Burl Ives being the snowman, it's, uh, it's uh, Leon Redbone. Leon Redbone. <laughs> right. Well, Leon Redbone, this is my problem. Um, it's. I'd, I'd also say it's got a you know for those of us in publishing, it's got that bit where James Kahn is a children's book publisher, and he's publishing these terrible things, and he signs off on proofs that have a blank page in it. And I'm like, I can believe everything else. I can believe the elf and Santa Claus <laughs> and everything, but I cannot believe he would actually sign those proofs. No. Well, he's just that naughty. The one. depiction of Santa is very realistic. The depiction <laughs> of the publishing industry. Not so much. Not so much. Yeah. <laughs> and then lastly, and I would never have caught this without seeing the credits because it's been forever since I've, I've seen him. Um, the character uh, of the elf foreman who kind of, uh, you know, frowns on buddies. Oh, inability yeah, to yeah. make toys. Uh, is actually Peter Billingsley. He's uncredited, <laughs> though, right? He's uncredited, but he yes. he does he From, does wow. play that part, and you would never recognize him. Um, he may or may not come up later for obvious reasons, but right. uh, yeah, if once you realize it's him, and and you take a good look at him, and you see those you know bright blue eyes looking at you, you're like, oh god, yeah, he's that's Peter elf. Billingsley. Crazy. Oh, I'm so, yeah, because he's mostly a producer now, isn't he? A producer or a director? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. looks exactly the same now as he did then. It's kind of in his a, little, eye. a little freaky. Part of the great about this film is like every secondary character is a terrific character and terrific actor. So it's got you know one half of of um, Jack Black and uh, Kyle Gass. Kyle Gass, and it's also got Andy, Andy uh, 
Richter is uh, the one of the, <laughs> the writing team. Right. Two right. of them, and you've got Amy Sedaris looking pretty, not making her face deformed as the secretary to James Caan, and, and the whole thing. It's not. It's a very nice. Although cast. I'm still trying to figure out how Mary Steenburgen and James Caan made that little Italian boy. It's true. I just I love her. She's so sweet. This film has a a crazy amount of sweetness in it for being such a strange, weird thing. It's just it's very sweet. And at the end, when everyone starts singing, you better not you know cry. You better not pout. It's just I actually tear up. It's it's just it's genuinely sweet and just kind of a lovely thing. Well, I'm glad people liked it. We are going to put Elf in the in the vault in the movie vault on so. the nice list <laughs> where there's no light or air. That's right. That's right. We poke some holes in it so it can breathe in there. It's on the nice list. Thank you, Glenn. That is excellent uh, use of the theme. Let's um, let's move on, and I'm going to let Dan Frakes have our next choice. This movie is not officially a holiday movie, but so much of it takes place around the holidays that um, I'm deeming it so. And I should also say that probably the big reason that I love it so much is because my wife and I have always loved it, um, and so it's got a lot of sentimental value. But it also has to do with all the things that make, you know, the holidays great family being together with, you know, with your loved ones. Um, <laughs> it's the Godfather, and, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, no. Um, and that is actually um, 1989's when Harry met Sally. And, uh, ah. and we love this movie. It's, a, it's more of a new year's movie than a Christmas yeah, it's, movie. It's, it's yeah. holidays, you know, they're, they're dragging the Christmas tree through New York city. Yep. You know, um, there's all these, you know, there's the Bing Crosby version of have yourself a merry little Christmas, yes. which I contend is the best version. Sorry, Frank fans. Um, and you know, there are lots of scenes around the holidays, lots of scenes about being together with people at the holidays, being ripped apart from people at the holidays. <laughs> um, and in the end it's, you know, you know, the, the, the final scene in the new year's party, where they say, "Hey, this is what I've been looking for all along. What have I been doing?" And uh, it, it's it's around our family. It's sort of the holiday movie we make sure we watch once a year. Dan, um, my wife and I watch try to watch that movie on New Year's Eve every every year. Yes, and yep. um, and and the other thing I think is really interesting about it is that I, I told my wife one. I guess it was last year. I said, "You know, this was the very first Aaron Sorkin movie." Because the because the, the dialogue in it was at the time when it when it came out in 1989 snappy dialogue right really snappy dialogue unlike Nora, anything Nora else Efren, out there. but people sure. people right. talking over each other people talking over each other people talking over each other oh right, right. back and forth back and forth back and forth you know like the way no one really actually talks in real life but it's funny and so we were laughing about that because we're thinking now it's all the rage you know for these Aaron Sorkin movies to have that kind of dialogue but in 1989 this was pretty. Interesting way of having you know two characters in a movie talk. Yeah, I um, uh, Meg Ryan has never looked lovelier than right. in a couple of scenes in the middle of that movie. So or yeah, or been better at and all. And Billy Crystal has never looked better because, quite <laughs> frankly, really, you know, yeah, he's never looked. That's the only and, movie in which I could buy him as a romantic lead. I have to right, say, exactly. I've, yeah, I've it, seen him in other films, and he's always he's always too sticky. He's always too doing the yeah. Billy Crystal thing, and this he's actually sort of honest. Lots of his stand-up lines are actually in this movie, but yeah. you're right. He he, something about it. He he's a he's not so sticky. He he, it's a little more rounded of a character. I think it helps that his character is so beaten down so early in the movie when he's le- he's abandoned by his wife. He, she leaves him for another man. That that gets you on his side a little bit, and I think that helps that movie structurally mm. to have Miss, you Mr. you kind of root for him a little because Mister Zero knew. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's true. I mean, and his character actually develops over the course of the movie, like you said. So he's. He, he is kind of the cheesy, obnoxious guy for the first, you know, 45 minutes. And then right. you suddenly see his, his softer side, I, his, his I've been rubbed in the ground side. 
And uh, he comes, you know, in the end, he turns out he's actually a really good guy. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and there's so much, so many quotable lines. It's kind of like the, the, it's the princess bride of romantic comedies. <laughs> it's like the contemporary adult radio of the princess bride. And um, uh good Carrie Fisher. I think this is the only other thing yes. that, other than yep. star Wars that Carrie Fisher has been in that I liked. But, Carrie yeah. Fisher and Bruno Kirby right. really played well. So great. They were awesome. The, they were like in the, yeah. in, in the thirties and forties, those are the sort of actors who could have made a 30 year career playing the best friend of the leading man <laughs> or in the leading lady. And they just would have been every single movie. They would have retired very, very wealthy and very well known without ever having had their name above the title. Bruno Kirby. Yeah, he, he is, he is great in this. They're, they're both great in this. This is a, and they're not that many characters in this movie, really. I mean, they're really the four characters and a few mm-hmm. other very minor characters. It really yeah. is about the four, the four, the characters, and and they try to they try to double date with the wrong pair, and it's very clear <laughs> immediately that Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher want to be together, and they abandon Harry and Sally and leave them by themselves. And it's just yeah, just adorable. <laughs> also great through the cameo of Rob Reiner's mother, of course. Yeah, right. Who says I'll have what she's have having? Right. Yeah. Gerald Ford's son is also in this movie. That's really, a, that's some trivia. The yeah. Sally's boyfriend, who she uh, who takes. He takes her to the airport, which you should never do at the beginning of a relationship, because then later oh, right, you right. don't take them to the airport, and they say, "Why didn't you take? Why don't you take me to the airport anymore?" See, right. I've seen this movie too many times. Yes, yeah, yeah. My my wife and I, we were first courting each other. We would quote this movie far too much. It yeah. was a little scary, but uh, and then all, of course, all the uh, the the little uh, vignettes with the the old couples were yes. you know perfect for the mm-hmm. movie. Too. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great choice. That's I'm a- keep I'm keeping my my string of, of good job, Dan. Of odd movies, like I picked Groundhog Day for time travel, so I'm just going for the <laughs> unusual ones oh. every time. Great choice, great choice, Dan. We'll put it in the vault Thank where you. it can cuddle up next to Elf. Will Ferrell will be fully committing to cuddling up next to When Harry Met Sally. Um, let's go to Mr. Andy Anatko next. Well, uh, apropos choice, because my pick has actually already been mentioned, Groundhog Day. I think it's <laughs> One of my uh-huh. exactly. See, well, Ooh. see, this is this is like the preparation you do for this for this kind of a topic because I'm like, well, okay, Santa Cla- the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of Santa Claus Car- conquers the Martians or the cinematic Titanic oh, version. Yeah. That's a great that's a great pick. It's a it's a perfect uh, it's it's a perfect enhancement to a really really awful movie. But there's not really much to talk about. It's really really funny. Well done. Ten bucks. Most of the money goes to the people who actually put it together. Good. Go for it. I I think that I I didn't pick Groundhog Day specifically for this topic. I've always thought that Groundhog Day is probably the most authentic version of a Christmas Carol that's ever been done in the form of a movie. Huh. Even more so than the uh, other Bill Murray Christmas Carol. I was going to say Scrooge, right? <laughs> Scrooge. By now, the idea of a Christmas Carol, and the idea of Scrooge, is so homogenized that all you got to do is. Get a dude, call him Scrooge, make sure he's rich and really, really nasty at the very top of the movie. And, okay, the government will allow you to get the tax break that is that is accorded to you by virtue of the fact that you're making a version of a Christmas Carol. They don't really sort of tune into what the story was really about. Like, if you if you take the time to really, like, read the original story, which is really amazing, or listen to Patrick Stewart's dramatic reading of it, which is as close as you're going to get to uh, actually reading the original story. Because... The whole story of A Christmas Carol is supposed to be if – you, if you're going to make a great version of this, you have to understand that Scrooge isn't the villain. Scrooge is the hero of the story where he has to rehabilitate himself. He has to spend one night confronting everything that's going on in his life, 
all the mistakes that he's made. At the end, it's not that he's terrified that, gosh, if, I don't, if I've been, uh, it's been proven to me that if I don't change my ways, I'm going to die and I'm going to go to hell. It's more like, God, I have been one big busload of crap for my entire life. <laughs> Fortunately, I have some. Uh, fortunately, I'm. I woke up in the morning and I got and I had an opportunity to make this day better than any other day that I've ever had in my entire life. Really, more of a horse-drawn carriage load, though. <laughs> no, I, I think they, they 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 did have the omnibus back then. I think that they could have created it specifically for the loads of crap, which was it wasn't just the crap in his life. He was a leading exporter of crap into other people's lives. All right, I'll accept that. You- so, and this was the industrial revolution. So he probably would have paid to have small, tiny, tiny workhouse children assembling all the gears and rods <laughs> in this machine, because he was he was he, it was a factory town for emotional crap. Uh, everywhere, everywhere around the Scrooge and Marley uh, business district, but so, but what is Groundhog Day? But that entire that that same entire thing where Bill Murray is he's not named Scrooge, it's not Christmas, although we have lots and lots of snow around, so we can call that you know nice and Christmassy and wintry. Uh, his whole job is to figure out uh, inadvertently to figure out what's wrong with his life, what is he not doing correctly, why is he be why is he so selfish and self centered, why does he absolutely not spend any time thinking about anybody else. And although there's never any stated rule as to why he's living this day over and over and over again, there comes the day when he lives this day perfectly, where he's doing nothing but thinking about other people. Not because he's desperate to avoid a fate, but because he's been trapped in this day for, I think, uh, uh, Harold Ramis has said that the original plan was that he was sort of stuck in this day for 10 years by the end of the movie. So over 10 years, he had basically played out every other scenario of what do you do when you know that at the end of the day, there'll be no consequences and you'll restart the entire day brand new. He goes through all like the selfish stuff of using people and stealing and even has some fun killing himself time and time and time again to try to escape it. But at some point it becomes, what can I do to make this day the best first day I could possibly ever have? And so he rehabilitates himself. This is the day, the, the end of the movie. I do legitimately love who he is by the end of the movie because it really is that entire scene at the end of a Christmas carol where Scrooge is throwing over, throwing open the do- the 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 the, 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 do- the uh, doors to his window and say, "Boy, oh, you boy, oh wonderful boy, what a lovely boy! You, you know the ter- the prize turkey that's hanging in the poultry room? Go and fetch it, such a lovely boy!" Only, only it's 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 more subdued because he's like the guy, the same guy that he wanted to, he, the the same guy who when confronted with like you know Ned Ryerson, Ned the Head, Needlenose Ned, who was just supremely annoyed by him the first time he met him, and then when he was in the gosh, I can do whatever I want, just simply it's great, I can just punch him right in the freaking face and nobody will care because nothing will happen about it. Given a free choice, it's like, no, I will make this guy, I will give this guy the best day he has ever had as a salesman. I'm going to buy boat insurance, even though I don't have a boat. Uh, I'm going to take care of every single person in this town only because that's something that I can do. Uh, and I don't want to wait for anybody else to fix things in this town. You know, there's a subtle thing. I wonder if if uh, I'm the only one who's caught this or I'm, get, I'm getting it wrong is... The Chris Elliott character as the uh, cameraman for the shoot that, that Bill Murray is supposed to be doing on site there in uh, Puxitani. Um Chris Elliott, <clears throat> at the beginning of the movie, you think he's a really nice guy who's being abused. By the end of the movie, Chris Elliott seems like a total schmuck. 
And there's like a, a cosmic balance of power. As the day goes on, the more you see of Chris Elliott, or as the day repeats itself, the worse and worse he comes off as Bill Murray becomes a better and better person. At well, just, the end, well, you're just, like, what a scumbag. I, th- I, think, I think it's that anybody looks better <laughs> placed next to Bill Murray at the beginning of that movie. I also, I also agree that if this movie had been shot, let's say, six years later, he would have been paid, played by Paul Giamatti. Because he's not because he's he's not he's not that sort of like active jerk. It's more like the he's just he 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 was raised in a basement with very little contact with outside people, and he has to sort of released released as an adult. He now has to sort of figure out how human beings operate. So yes, he is the sort of person who'd make a big big flash about tipping a bartender a dollar two dollars while 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 his prospective date is watching, and then sneak back and like remove. One dollar from that jar. You make a good case for this being Christmassy, despite taking yeah. place February on Groundhog Day. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's it's a it's a holiday. I, I love Groundhog Day. I think it's probably probably in my top ten films of all time. Yeah. Just I think it's so. so well constructed, and and the thing that I think is um, remarkable about it as a Bill Murray vehicle is it's one of the very few instances I've seen where he does emotion, and it seems it seems like real emotion. Mm-hmm. Doesn't yeah. seem like he's he's play acting or he's being sarcastic and and that's really the thing that, about Scrooge that never quite worked for me is that big scene at the end where he's you know uh, you can have yeah. the miracle too and all that business it 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 seems very contrived and very fake and and almost you know manic and and weird and and it's it's not so much I, I wouldn't expect the people around him to be applauding and and laughing along with him more sort of sidling towards the exit quietly and. That's also one of the problems of the end of uh, of, of a Christmas Carol because all of a sudden, gosh, okay, thank you, you 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 gave me a, a secret turkey, uh, and like you're, you you uh, you went to church that one day. That makes up for the fact that you put hundreds, if not thousands, of poor Londoners out in the street in the, in the <laughs> middle of the cold. Like we're supposed to herald you as the as the finest man in town because of one day you decided to start and be a nice guy. Well, right. Well, that's the brilliance yeah. of the of the of the setting of this. Well, you kind of get the impression that he's going to continue down. Oh yeah, of path. course, of course. But yeah. it's it's the difference is it's 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 a point that's made better in in the book than in the movies. Sure. This is the the brilliance of the setting of the movie, right? Because in any other setting where he's you know around people that know him and know that he's an ass, it doesn't work. But he goes out to the middle of nowhere where no one knows him except on TV, and the only and only one person. You get the impression that um, Andy McDowell has never really worked with him before, and Chris Elliott, you know, he's a little socially inept, so it wouldn't matter. <laughs> but uh, no one knows him, so he can keep going through this every day. And by the time he's actually, you know, become this good, real good person, no one else really knows that he made this dramatic change. They just think that's the way he's always been, right? Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it'd be kind of interesting. To, this is this is why that movie begins and ends in exactly the right spots. Because you don't want to have like a follow up a week later where everybody who knows him back in this back in the station right. station of Pittsburgh has any idea why are you what are you up to what are you trying to get out of me the fact that you brought donuts for the entire office are you trying are you trying to weasel into your, oh god that's just like you Phil maybe that's not even an issue because the last line of the film is let's live here so you know right, maybe he's right. done with Pittsburgh one of the smartest things that entire movie is that. They wisely realize that nobody in the audience cares why this day is being replayed over and over again. Nobody cares if there's any rules for how he can break, how he got into this, or how he can break out of it. Because the earlier draft of the script, uh, according to the uh, director commentary on the DVD, 
it was the all she he 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 treated a, treated an, uh, an old girlfriend badly, and the and the girlfriend put a spell on him without him knowing it. And this is how this <laughs> happened. Nobody cares about that. Just let's just accept that this. Just like, just like we can accept that Will Ferrell is a six foot three elf, <laughs> hop, who has to hop and skip the through crosswalks in New York City. It's okay if we're in a movie theater. We we're willing to suspend our disbelief if you do a good job with this movie. We'll put Groundhog Day in the vault, um, and when Harry met Sally, an elf will say, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> and uh, but that's a, I think that's a great selection. I, I do think that movie is a classic, and um, I love thinking of it as a Christmas Carol. That is a great way. Of thinking of of uh, of Groundhog Day. Now you can watch Groundhog Day in December, not just February. Oh, thank goodness! That's great. What a, what a gift you've given. It is. It's 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 more portable now. So long as the government will get off our backs about when we can watch this movie. Let's uh, move on to um, Ms. Caldwell, Serenity Caldwell. What do you think? What what do you have for us? Okay. Uh, well, growing up, my parents and my sister and I would routinely watch three movies. And I will talk about one. But the, the three movies were It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, and Andy is going to kill me, but White Christmas. <laughs> so um, I'm not going to talk about White Christmas for fear of having this turn into a nasty holiday special. I am, I am nothing but sunshine and light. If you, if you <laughs> find holiday memories attached to it, then I certainly would be a very small person to try to sully those memories. I appreciate Aww. you not ruining my seven-year-old childhood dreams. Uh, but... Thankfully, I won't talk it's too much about it. It's a Christmas miracle. There's another podcast you can listen to if you'd like to. <laughs> We're going to call it those... Rooting Wren's Holiday Christmas Crushed, Dreams. That's yes. great. I love that one. I think Syracuse would do it. Yeah, he would. He certainly <laughs> would and make fun of me. Anyway, um, I'm going to talk about It's a Wonderful Life uh, because it's probably my favorite holiday movie. And I try and watch yeah, it at least once a year. Trip. Yeah, I, I love it. I Jimmy Jimmy Stewart is probably one of my personal heroes, and I watched a lot of movies from the the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s growing up. So I, lo- I love that era of filmmaking, and Frank Capra's movies are great. But It's a Wonderful Life, uh, and actually, in in coincide with all of the previous picks that we have, uh, it has a lovely it has a lovely arc for a lovely for a story. And I think that's what makes for good holiday movies is it's you have a character who's in one place. And then he discovers either there's something that's like self-discovery or it's a life change or it's something. But it always, you know, even even though this, parts of this movie are very, you know, get, go to a dark place, uh, <laughs> it all comes out right in the end. And I, I really like that about this movie. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of great scenes. I love that we start with, you know, basically start by giving a, the first half of the movie is a summary of of Jimmy Stewart's character's life up until then. So you get all this, you know, you get, you get a reason for, Oh, here's, here's how his life could have gone. Here's, here are the people that are important in his life. Here's what he'd be giving up by committing suicide. And you just have some wonderful character interaction. I love Lionel Barrymore with a passion and he plays the bad guy <laughs> so well. Um, Henry Travers uh, is adorable as Clarence. Donna Reed puts in a fine showing as Madame Librarian. Uh, in general, I just, it's hard to articulate exactly why I love this movie. It's, it's a bunch of really lovely vignettes that put together create a, a lovely overarching film. And I saw it, I actually got a chance to see it in, as a 35mm print on my birthday about three years ago in like this small Ooh. theater in Connecticut. Cool. And, and until I saw the, uh, the revamped Raiders print, I think that was my favorite film that I'd ever seen in theaters. <laughs> 
And wasn't this a, a terrible failure during Capra? I mean, wasn't this originally like a box office flop, and it it took uh, reruns on television to turn it into something that we all adore so much? Uh, they they lambasted this movie as like, oh, Frank Capra just doesn't he doesn't have the stuff anymore. And I don't know, Capricorn. you know, yeah, I mean, it was really <laughs> yeah. Well, you need some nostalgia, right? You need the, the lens of nostalgia for this to appear, because when you're living through that, you're like, we're in the middle of a war, and we're all poor, and it's all horrible when it came out, but you need a few years' space, maybe. Yeah, well, I think everybody's kind of in that mindset where they're like, no, all of our lives are sucky. What are you, why are you trying to, instead of give us, you know, escapism, like White Christmas, why are you, why are you trying to prove that things are, are terrible and that there are bad things? And why are you talking about mortgages and home loans? We don't want to watch a holiday movie about home loans. <laughs> yeah, in the future, financial collapses will not occur. And this will not be relevant in any way. Um, I, I have a question for you. Uh, I came to this movie very late. I, I only saw it for the first time, I don't know, five or ten years ago. Do you think that the um, the focus on him being on the bridge the focus uh, on the here's what would happen if your life had been different which is i was surprised how long it takes to get to that point in the movie yeah. do you think that do you think that the movie um not the movie suffers but the movie that it's harder to view the movie now because it's got this it's taken a life of its own but 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 people are very focused on the last part of the movie instead of the movie as a whole no it's true i mean before when I, I watched this movie a lot, like as I said, pretty much every year growing up, and there's a three or four year period where I didn't watch it, and you get sort of like the idealized, oh, this is what this movie is about. And then when I watched it again for the first time after those like four years, I'm like, oh, right, there's this whole first half uh, that we just don't really think about. But at the same time, I feel like that first half is so integral to selling the second half. Like, you don't really care about right. Jimmy Stewart's alternate reality life if you don't know the people, like the cast of characters in the first place. I feel like you don't, you don't get the high school dance, you don't get him meeting Mary, you don't, if you don't get all of that in the first half, then, oh, Mary is a librarian. Like, you, you don't, that doesn't hit you as, as well as I think it would. Like, if you start that, if you start him jump, like, you start him jumping off the bridge a la, like a, a Christmas, like a, a Scrooge tale, I don't think you quite, it quite connects as well as it could. Because wouldn't that be the modern way you'd do this story would be, first off, you'd start with him on the bridge. Yeah. And then you do, you know, two days earlier, which I hate. Well, it, you do, though, sort of, because there is the scene at the beginning with the, the angels oh, talking the and they send Clarence yeah. down. Oh, the angels. And they, they inform us that uh, someone is Whole in deep trouble. So, so you could do sort of like a memento cut where you start with, like, the end. <laughs> and you keep, like, going to the very, very beginning. <laughs> And, and what happens is he's, he, he's in the bad universe and he decides to step through a portal and change history so that his life – I'm just, I'm just saying I, I, sometimes I think – I worry that people will look at this movie and think, oh, this is the famous movie where all this stuff happens. And maybe it says something about our patience now versus our patience – you know, the patience of the people who were the anticipated audience of this back then. But I was shocked when I first saw it that this movie is not about him being plunged into this world where he didn't exist. You know, the movie's about the guy and his life. And then all of that other stuff happens. And it doesn't happen <laughs> 10 minutes into the movie. It happens way deep in the movie. Jason, the title is A Wonderful Life. Right. That's yeah. right. No. It was wonderful. Did you not yeah. think it was wonderful? What's wrong with you? I thought, well, I think the big, the big deal is just to point out that if he had thrown, 
it wasn't just a it wasn't just the idea that he would have killed himself, but he would have killed killed himself having thrown away this lifetime of experiences that had come to that point, and also the experiences that would have come after that point. That he would have, you know, worst case, he would have gone to jail for a few years, but he would have gotten out of jail, and he had this really great life to return to. But it's it's such a but it's such a great movie that you do tend to overlook two rather glaring issues, shall mm. we say. Now we we get both of them have to do with Clarence. Now we, when he pops in, he sees Jimmy Stewart is about to commit suicide. How does Clarence decide to keep Jimmy Stewart from jumping off the bridge and killing himself by jumping off, off the bridge, bridge himself <laughs> and forcing Jimmy Stewart to jump in too? And thereby proving that the bridge is not nearly tall enough to actually kill either of them. Right. So it would have been a failure, right? So now we would have been all all depressed because of that too. Now. We, <laughs> now the second problem, though, now this is this is what like I, I I do love this movie, but this this idea popped into my head and it did color like all subsequent viewings, where I realized that at the very very beginning the the two like senior angels, the ones who are actual actual galaxies as opposed to just one little little star pip, have like called in Clarence because oh well he gosh he's he's you know he hasn't gotten his wings yet he's sort of you know sort of like the misfit of the group we've got to you know get him his wings got to get him this this gig. You realize that what they're saying is that they keep sending him to prevent people from killing themselves, and they kill themselves anyway. This is the first time he succeeded in oh talking goodness. someone out of it. Oh my goodness! He leaves a I trail of bodies behind him, and eternity long. Oh, Clarence! Wow. I prefer to think that he just got transferred to the prevent suicide division rather than he was in a lifetime failure. Like, give him something simple and cushy, like preventing the, the death of a human being. We probably have to assume that if he keeps on, you know, helping people commit suicide rather than preventing them from committing suicide, that he wouldn't be assigned such uh, interesting duties. He'd be going to like save oh. pets or something. It doesn't give you a whole lot of regard for what the uh, the senior angels think of uh, of Jimmy Stewart's character if they send down this loser. Who's <laughs> exactly. A number of times. See, I get the sense that their hands are tied almost. You know, it's like it's the heaven bureaucracy. It's the divine it plan. It yeah, is. With seniority. You know? Exactly. They, they, they go on the seniority system. Unfortunately, it's, he was, it's a last in, first out sort of thing. Yeah, Clarence's number is up. So you get Clarence. <laughs> Sorry. He's the next up. It's his case. By the way, Clarence, if you screw this one up, we cast you into purgatory for all eternity. <laughs> no pressure. Let us place It's a Wonderful Life as we are not surprised at all. We will place it in the vault of excellent holiday movies. I think that's a great a great selection. And I'm glad we didn't spend an hour talking about White Christmas. Uh, Steve Lutz, <laughs> what do you have for us? Well, um, I'm actually quite glad that I got to go before you because I have a suspicion that we might have picked the same thing. Oh. And uh, one thing I was realizing when I was digging through the uh, endless numbers of top 20 uh, greatest Christmas movie lists online to try and refresh my memory is that I, I I seem to think that there are a lot of classic holiday films, but when I actually sit down and look at the ones that uh, that I've seen over the years, there really aren't that many that are that great. I mean, a lot of them are, you you really only love because you remember seeing them a million times when you were a kid. Like I could I could throw uh, the year without a Santa Claus out the window, you know, and and never think of it again. Yes. and uh, and That'd not be, be remotely bothered. But when I was a kid, man, I loved that the the uh, heat miser song and the cold miser song, and and uh, and then I went back and I was like, whoa, these these are not good. <laughs> and most of the Rankin Bass uh, stop motions fit into that category for me. They're not great, but at the same time, like those specials, I will always watch those specials if they're on. 
just because it's it's one of those things, you know, it's like the movies that you watch when you were a kid. And even though you can kind of admit they're not great right now, they're fun yeah. to have on the background while you sit at the table. I agree with that. Rudolph is a good one. Yeah. There's diminishing returns with the rank and Rudolph, Rudolph is goodish. Is, I, I will yeah. give Rudolph goodish status, but. The, in, in the song, what happened is that all the other reindeers in his peer group shunned him, which is, of course, just what happens in, you know, school kids. They're, they're mean. But in the in the special, it was the authority figure, the coach of the reindeer games, who said, hey, now I think we all agree that she can't play in any reindeer games. Like, that's that, true. That is the problem. You're supposed to be the authority figure here, sir. That's uh, why they gave you the little hat and the whistle. Jerk. So, Steve... Um, we didn't actually get to your selection. This is true. Uh, got off on a bit of a tangent there. Rankin Bass does that. Surprise. He's non-Rankin Bass, um, but it is somewhat in the t- same time frame. It is, of course, the classic first Peanuts special, A Charlie Brown Christmas uh, from 1965. Yeah. Um, I, I thought we were talking about movies. That would have been my pick. That is, that is, the, one that, that is the one to end them all. So Steve is cheating, basically. No, I think you said holiday. I didn't want to films say that. You're 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 and, the uh, you're the officials here. You're, 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 I'd have you're to go the, back and look at. The I'm gonna email I'm gonna allow it in the spirit of the holiday. Oh, oh man. yeah! God bless us, everyone. And the moderator's heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> Scrooge is reformed. Quick, Steve, run out and get a get that turkey in the window down the street <laughs> and bring it back, and then tell us more about Charlie Brown. You lovely lad. Yeah, so I mean, what's what's not to love about a Charlie Brown Christmas? It's so it's so simple and so sweet and so weird. I mean, there's so many elements piled together there that just really should not work. I mean, the the animation is terrible. Um, you know, the, the I guess they were on a real shoestring budget and they they couldn't really afford to do a decent job on it. And uh, apparently, Bill Melendez several years later was kind of embarrassed by it, but Schultz wouldn't let him go back and fix it. The the voice acting is you know that's that sort of halting uh, you know it's it's real kids for a change which i guess was unusual at the time it was very unusual and, uh, they, they had guess, to fight uh, for that the girl who played sally couldn't even read so they had to feed her one line at a time and it, and it shows yeah um and then just you know the weirdness of the plot the fact that the the christmas play seems to consist of them dancing and uh and lucy's not at Music. all bothered by that she she looks to charlie brown and says isn't this a great play i mean it's all it's just strange and then you put together the Garaldi jazz music there, which is wonderful in its own right, but you would never think it would fit with the the rest of the Peanuts sort of uh, you know environment. And yet it all works on such such a strange level, and it's I mean it's mesmerizing, and it's uh, and it's um, I mean it's it's just that it's so so earnest and so sweet, and. Uh, you know, it's strange that uh, you know I've I've lived my whole life as a uh, as an unwashed heathen, and yet for some reason Linus gets on that stage and says "lights please" and lays out with that Gospel of Luke. Man, it it moves me in a yeah. weird way because well, it's so well done. And then and then of course Charlie Brown afterwards. It's for the first time I think you may have ever seen Charlie Brown with sort of a a wash of peace. He's holding that little tree. <laughs> He's, he has that little smile, and he walks out with his tree. And, and it, it is immediately dashed, of course, because that's just Charlie Brown's lot in life. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a lovely film. And it's strange to me, too, that because it's so slow and, and kind of odd and weirdly paced, you wouldn't expect the modern child to, uh, to 
still enjoy it. But I, I plopped my kids down in front of it uh, last year, and, and we watched it again this year, and they just are enthralled. My kids love it, too. And I didn't think mm-hmm. they would. I got it, and I was hopeful, but I was waiting for my my uh, hopes to be dashed. And the fact is they think it's they think all the peanut specials are great, and they love Charlie Brown Christmas. And I'm, that makes me very happy that, that, that 40 years later, basically, it still works. It's still getting it done. They work yep. at the the kids. Be, they like it. I think because it, they relate to it. It's it's slower paced. It's more gentle. It's got voices that sound like theirs. Um, I think there's something about it that's really relatable. Also. And Snoopy is also and really Snoopy. funny. Sure, yeah. don't forget Snoopy. Snoopy Snoopy kills. Even now, yeah, he is World War One. And that's one of the few films where he doesn't have an extended Fine. scene where he's you know playing hockey or you know doing his World War One flying ace thing, which I think they relied on a bit too heavily. He ice years. skates and dances. I mean, what more yeah. could you ask for? <laughs> yeah, From but they're Beagle. fairly brief interludes. It doesn't occupy a ten-minute slice right. of the already short special. So, so what the things that, that strike me about this, and I, I think I may have expounded on them in some other podcast in a parallel universe this week. But um, <laughs> the um, the uh, you mentioned it, Steve. I, I'm not a religious person, really, but um, but I, I like the scene with Linus doing the reading yeah. because. You yeah. know, it's it is Christmas. That is the source of the holiday, and to treat it with respect and uh, and um, and not shy away from that. I like it. I like I like the honesty of it, um, and the and the clarity of it. And I I am not sure that a show on a network today would do that. Well, they didn't want to do it. That's, yeah, they didn't want to do it in the sixties. Yeah, the networks yeah. hated that idea. They, they yeah. wanted that's, to that's definitely it. skiing on the black diamond course there. Yeah, because it's not not only not only did they have have to fight to get that in, but also it would be so easy to turn that into proselytizing by saying, "No, I'm going to we're we're not going to this is not an Xmas so this is not a holiday special this is a Christmas special." Jesus is the reason for the season. Yes, this but this is it's it's exactly it's exactly what Linus was feeling at that moment. So you're talking about Linus's feelings and not necessarily the feelings of what everybody should be going thinking at that at that moment. And it really is one of those moments where if someone has an opposition to that, I'm not, I wouldn't judge them based on that thing, but I'd be more curious as to why they have an opposition to that scene than I would be wondering about that scene itself. I was going to say something similar. And just, there's a, there's a great quote from Charles Schultz about that, where he was fighting with the network executives and he's like, well, if we don't show them the true meaning of Christmas, then who the hell will? (laughs) <laughs> so 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 the other thing in this that that similarly i think you couldn't get away with today um or at least not in the way it's handled is this is still peanuts right and so charlie brown has terrible things happen to him but it's the it's the anti-consumerist message yeah. which is mm-hmm. which is you know that this isn't and they go hand in hand right because it's like this isn't what this holiday is supposed to be about and um, I love that. And, Sponsored and having, by Coca-Cola. Well, that's that's what I always think. The Charlie Brown Holiday <laughs> Special brought to you by Macy's, right? It's, but And yet... And Dolly in, Madison Snack Cakes. When you buy it for nine ninety nine on iTunes, there are no commercials. Well, and it. now you can buy the Charlie Brown tree, too. You can buy the commercial Charlie Brown tree. You know this, yeah. right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's all yeah. over the internet. But but be that as it may, if we if you look at the work... It's um, I, I, one of those things I like about it is that Sally basically says... Just give me. I just want what's coming to me. Just All give I me want money. Is my fair share. Yeah, exactly. All I want is what I've got coming to me. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> I, I could probably recite that film line for oh, yeah. <laughs> Although there is no better line in that uh, in that special than when Shermie says, "Every Christmas it's the same. 
I always end up playing a shepherd because every Christmas it's the same. <laughs> he still gets to play the shepherd. Yeah. Every year I think maybe, you know, this is the year he gets to play the baby Jesus. But no. Nope. Shermie's a shepherd He's again. Always the shepherd. Hey, Jason. Yes, uh, Glenn. We've, we've all been talking about our favorite movies and. I don't know. That seems a little selfish now to me that we've spent all this time talking. And well, it is a season of sharing. Of, I know, but in this, you know, we should ask you. What do you think? What's your favorite holiday movie? Well, I'm curious why Steve thought that I was going to choose um, Charlie Brown Christmas. Is it because I drafted Charlie Brown in our that TV exactly character draft? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I'm going to choose the He-Man special with Skeletor as <laughs> Christmas. So no, um, which which is which is just hit Netflix streaming by the way. <laughs> yes, like last check week. it out. <laughs> by the, oh, Merry oh, Christmas boy. by the power of Grayskull. No, um, <laughs> buy our toys oh, and playsets. So we've mentioned it already, and um, this is a movie that I had never seen before. My wife exposed it to me because it was one of her favorites and um it is now one of mine if not my favorite which is miracle on 34th street mm. uh the original oh, okay with, not the david hartman no maureen o'hara uh edmund gwen uh natalie wood as a little girl um i love this movie um not the dylan mcdermott remake no no it's oh, okay. been remade so many times <laughs> Go, except no substitutes watch the original don't even watch the colorized version of the original watch the original black and white and it is a classic and it does not need to be made again because it's fine true. the way it is and in fact that performance by edmund gwen the english actor who came to hollywood late in life and made this movie and won an oscar for best supporting actor his performance is so great um you know i love this movie i, I think there's, there's a theme running through a lot of these movies where they have something about them that is that sets them apart that's a little bit strange and a little bit skewed and it's not treacly it's not sappy i mean obviously at the heart of miracle on 34th street is this story of you know it's a, like a heartwarming family story and there's a believe in santa claus kind of story and the importance of family but it's also like a wacky courtroom drama <laughs> where with where there's sort of satirizing the political aspects of santa claus there's um uh william frawley who was fred mertz on i love lucy plays a political operative who advises the <laughs> judge Nikki thompson of this movie yeah his nod is i think the the highlight of the film for me yes nodding at the judge <laughs> the, the whole just because there's the sham of a court uh proceeding involving uh santa claus and and, and the whole thing comes off basically because of the publicity of the right. judge and his advisor is Fred Mertz. Who's... But, but, but don't, don't you feel for that judge that the way they outline the way the movie outlines his position is saying that well, of course this guy's nuts. He says he says he's Santa Claus. He really should. This should be a closed courtroom which he's just committed in like three seconds. But if I, there's so much attention now that if I do this on Christmas Eve, I'll be the idiot who yeah. sent Santa Claus to jail on Christmas Eve. Yeah. So please, there's the... Lord, deliver me from this. <laughs> Let this cup pass from. Me. Yes. and when and when all these letters start dumping on his on his on his, uh, on his bench, it's like, thank God, I've got a lame excuse to dismiss this case, and I'm going to take it. <laughs> That's right. Fred Mertz has has stepped in and, and helped him out. Uh, yeah, and they, and they they put the they put the district attorney's son on the stand. Yeah. Oh, my daddy. Oh, that's hard pool. That's hard pool. So would you, oh. daddy? <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's so so you know i mean there's other great stuff here where there's the drunk santa and he's kicked out and oh. the new santa comes in and he he upsets people it says something about actually there's an interesting um whole bit in here about good customer service which again it's like what a strange thing to be in a movie but the idea that that it's like santa and miracle on 34th street is like the original genius from the 
genius bar at Apple. He he basically <laughs> gets these questions, um, and, and he says, "Well, no, we don't have that here, but I'll tell you where you can get that. You can get that across the street at Gimbel's. They have it, and it's a pretty good deal. You should go over there." And 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 his supervisor's like, "What? No, we can't do that." And it, and then all of a sudden, I think Mr. Macy realizes, "Hey, wait a second. People are coming here now because they trust us because they know we'll tell them the truth, even if we don't have what uh, what they go what <laughs> I, they want." I will want. tell you that this was the founding. You remember I worked at Amazon in the early days. This was practically the founding principle of Amazon. Was that was the miracle on Thirty Fourth Street? It was. The, <laughs> it was that you're authoritative. People think they can come to you and find not only what you need but what you don't have, and as long as they believe that, they don't go anywhere else. Right. Well, the the idea that that um, if we don't have it, we'll tell you where you can get it exactly. instead of instead of playing dumb and hoping you buy something that you don't really want. And and that, yeah, but that's a whole that's a whole thread in this movie too. So there's just a lot of of interesting and strange stuff that's all mashed together. Um, and there's the, is it Alan Young? Who's the, who's the guy who I, I, I forget who it is, but they, they, there's the Chris Kringle promises the little girl a house. And then at the end, and there's a house in the countryside. And oh, I mean, I it's just driving along and there's like, it's our house. Everyone's like, it's there. Well, it okay, is. Then. <laughs> they're like, yeah, okay, it, this is a for sale. Wait a second. That's his cane. Yeah, because they do the whole, he's not magic, really. He's just a crazy old man. Or is he? Right? Yeah, I didn't do such a wonderful thing after all. Oh, so, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I really do love this movie. So I, I will, you know, this is, uh, shows the sensibility that I, I, I have in, in marrying, um, marrying my wife who has such good taste in holiday movies that I, I do really love Miracle on 34th Street because it is that great mixture of kind of oddball, weird, courtroom drama and there's the there's the the mail room or whatever that's the boiler room kind of terrible place and there's just great stuff in it so so miracle on 34th street that's my selection some of the best holiday movies are the ones that are totally not self-conscious about themselves where that there's no need to explain anything there's no need to be terribly hip they're okay with simply saying yep it's a movie about santa claus nope he's not there's not gonna be a secret twist at the end where it turns out that he actually is crazy but everybody decides to fall behind him because he's such a good santa claus he really is santa claus you're gonna have to deal with that we decided to make a movie that will leave you smiling instead of puzzled and a little bit tortured yeah yeah exactly right that it is a movie about a guy who is santa claus and and he teaches a lot of people little lessons along the way and then there's crazy courtroom antics well, for me, it's the epitome of just the perfect Christmas movie because it's so it's so earnest and it's so earnest that it makes you smile rather like, yeah. you know, there's some where it's like, oh, yeah, we're we're being a little hammy, you know, get get in the Christmas spirit. And this one is just like, no, let's let's show the Macy's parade. Let's be adorable and sell it 110 percent. Jason, can we give out shout outs for honorary nominees? Yes, I was going I was gonna say now that we've each had a pick, I wanna I wanna say what did we miss? What what should we mention before we go that that um we didn't mention? Yeah. We have to we have to mention Die Hard because Dan Warren right. is not on yeah. the podcast That's and we'll Dan be very Warren's sad. choice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Die Hard it, is a great film. <laughs> and we did a whole podcast about Die Hard, so dip into the archives back to December twenty ten and you can find our entire podcast about our love Hard, letter which is which is a christmas movie it, it, as strange as that is it is a christmas movie it is possibly the best adult christmas movie <laughs> ho 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 now i have a machine gun yes no there's a better adult christmas movie which would be bad santa which <laughs> i don't know if i can watch i'll give a shout out to it but it's like it's it's a funny strange horrible horrible film that i don't know if i could ever watch a second time but wow it's 
it's something. <laughs> well, if we're, if we're including TV shows, I have to put a shout out to the SCTV Christmas special. Wow. Where <laughs> oh, Johnny, yes. where jo- Johnny LaRue, he has to, there, there, there are two great stories out of it. One of which is uh, Johnny LaRue has to, is at the, is, the whole thing is around the big SCTV network, like Christmas party, but Johnny LaRue can't like stay and drink and smoke like he wants to because the station manager is sending him out to do like a special Christmas street beef where he just like walks on the street and interviews like people who are just like on the street on Christmas Eve late at night doing nothing. And, uh, <laughs> and he's drunk and he's drinking even more and he just winds up like alone because the camera crew like it's, he's he insults the camera crew once too often. So he's just there sitting in the middle of the snow on the sidewalk with a boom mic just speaking into it. <laughs> Uh, I had talent. I had talent. I had more talent than this little figure. All I wanted was a crane shot. But the caviar is such a cheapskate. And then there's this, glo- this the Christmas magic, that that glorious, like, celestial music. And then the camera, like, picks itself up and says, Oh, who are you? I'm Santa. What's this? Why, it's your crane shot, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> and then pull back to see a beautiful, like, huge Chapman crane wrapped in Christmas lights. And the backstory is even funnier because I, I, won't, I, I won't go into all the details. It would take a long time to explain. But essentially, John Candy, to get back at the producers, had intentionally written the most expensive sketch that would that, that they that this series would ever film. Not by saying, oh, and there's 8,000 pounds of real gold, so you have to get us. He found every trick to make sure that it would cost as much as possible, including knowing there was only one Chapman crane in <laughs> in Canada that they'd have to get it on a flatbed. They'd have to also, also pay for the person to operate it just so they could use it as a prop in this sketch. But it was, it was it was a great it was a great sketch start to finish. But just this idea of John Candy knowing that I just cost the production eighteen thousand dollars more than they thought they were going to spend on this five minute comedy piece. I am a happy John Candy on this night. Really quick, if we're talking Christmas TV specials, or not necessarily specials, but Christmas TV shows, uh, pretty much all of Aaron Sorkin's shows have wonderful, wonderful Christmas episodes. Uh, there's oh, that's Sorkin true. again. Yeah, mm-hmm. one in particular, um, if for people who have watched The West Wing, is Noel. Uh, which is, mm-hmm. deals with uh, one of the characters' post-traumatic stress disorder over an event that I will not mention because it will spoil the show for people who haven't watched the show. And if you haven't watched the show, what's wrong with you? Go watch it. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Aaron Sorkin's shows, great with Christmas specials. pisses me off that we're all shying away from mentioning A Christmas Story because TBS had to ruin it by overexposing it. Uh, oh, I've watched it 100 no. million times. Ten years ago, every one of us would probably have said a Christmas story. Maybe not everyone, but a good many of us, because it is absolutely fantastic film. That's a good. Uh, I, yes, I still love it. My, my, I actually have a Christmas Day tradition where uh, I, I, I spend the entire day like driving all over creation, visiting friends and family. But I will like have Christmas breakfast, and then I will go home, and then spend two hours wrapping gifts while watching the Christmas story. Probably exactly 1.78 times as it loops around and then load then I load my car up with freshly wrapped presents and make my make my tour and so they would not be christmas without a christmas story in the morning it's uh you know i, I don't have an uh, like actual broadcast or cable or whatever television for years so christmas story now seems fresh to me in fact we own the dvd <laughs> so we could be sure to watch it and we've lost it it's a terrible thing so now we have to do something drastic to get it back have to buy a I'm TV. Just bothered by the mom's '80s hair. That's all. That's the only thing that bothers me about that movie. <laughs> oh, Ralphie. Oh, my terrible admission is that I've never seen more than the first ten minutes of that film. 
Oh. What? Yeah. Ooh. What? Yeah. Were you raised by the same wolves that raised Jason, where he didn't see that It's a Wonderful Life and A Miracle on 34th Street until like five years ago? Uh, Jason hasn't seen him Home Alone. Right, Jason? I've what? seen I've seen Home Alone 3. Right, but never the original. <laughs> it doesn't count. <laughs> no. Which blows my mind. No, I'm one of only about five five people in North America who were alive in the in the 1980s who did not see Home Alone. I have not seen Home Alone. I escaped I've, the... Uh, I've not seen it either. The patrols. Home Alone was on my <gasps> list. I was actually considering mentioning Home Alone because it's it's very good. This, this Home Alone gets an honorable, an honorable the mention. Home Alone. That blows my mind. But I've seen Home Alone 3. <laughs> no. With Scarlett Johansson as the sister. You keep saying that like it helps. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. What else did um, we miss? Uh, Anything else? Holiday, Holiday Inn is not a... Actually, I mentioned it briefly before, but Holiday Inn is, t- has a Christmas scene, and it's not a traditional Christmas movie, but there's something very Christmassy about... Was the hotel uh, chain named for the film? It is. Yes, it is. It is. It's, and wow. it's, uh, it's, it, the, the plot is that Bing Crosby is, you know, wants to open all these... What's this? Uh, all these. I was about to tell him as if he was opening a chain of hotels. He wants to open a country hotel in the wilds of Connecticut, as far away as Greenwich, I believe, from New York City. <laughs> That's only right. open yeah. on the holidays. Yeah, it's only open on the holidays. Open, open once, a supper club open once a month, right? And so Irving Berlin has this now challenge of having to come up with a song for every holiday, <laughs> every month. The interesting part is if you watch it, you get two versions. One has uh, Lincoln's birthday and one does not. Oh, Lincoln's birthday is Abraham, <laughs> oh, Abraham. It's a terrifying, <laughs> wow. And it's it's blackface, it's, you know, it used to be. It's really bad. It was acceptable once, apparently. So anyway, but it's a great <laughs> film. Sometimes you see that scene. Sometimes you don't see that scene. Wait a minute. It's a blackface uh, tribute to Abraham Lincoln. I am not kidding you. Are you? It oh is my Bing God. Crosby in full, like, you know, in full blackface. Wow. And the female lead in this horrific oh my God. female blackface <laughs> character that... It's like it's like it's I, I, my even when I even you can see it on YouTube and even yeah. on YouTube my, I've got my springtime for Hitler face on like that audience reaction. <laughs> it's in there. There are African American characters in it too, and they sing along and they sing about the darkies, and it's like it's it's a product of its time. So if you see the movie, I recommend not seeing that scene. Just, just like just like um, uh, Fred Astaire's Bojangles of Harlem, Harlem uh, uh, number in uh, Swing Time was it. Uh, you can at least say, okay, he's not. He's he's wearing theatrical. You, you want to give him an out for this, so you, you you can torturously say, okay, he's wearing theatrical makeup as opposed to what is more more convent more stereotypical blackface. He's also doing a tribute to a known dancer, and also he's dancing in the style of one of his mentors, who also was an African American. I'm willing to sort of give him a free pass on that on that basis. This number in yes. on Holiday Inn with Bing Crosby, you're like, oh my god, no. oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. It was culturally appropriate in its time and requires a disclaimer. But it is a lovely film, despite that scene. It is a lovely, it lovely is. film, and it's a great film for the holidays, especially without the scene. One of the best things of that film is at the end of the film, uh, who it's uh, Bing Crosby and um, uh, who's the co-star male, the male co-star. It's um. Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. I'm sorry, Fred Astaire. So Fred Astaire goes to make a movie. Fred Astaire of, playing the heavy, by the way. He, yeah, and Fred Astaire decides to make a movie of Bing Crosby's experience 
And so in the film, there's a bit where they pull back and you see that there's a set of the Holiday Inn. And it's obviously the set they used in making that part of the movie. But now it's being yeah. presented as a set that was constructed in Hollywood to make a movie about the experience. <laughs> and it's, I just love the craziness. Uh, and... Yes. And and incidentally, they reused that exact same set for White Christmas, which was originally <laughs> no. Seriously, it is it is the exact same set. It's the ski because it's, it's the ski lodge. It's, it's the no, song. If, if yeah. you if you remember if you remember the scene where the the oh coat check God. was, that is like the entranceway in holiday in uh, in uh, White Christmas, oh, where beautiful. like all the action that. happens. Wow. I, I will um I'll put in a brief word for one of like the eighty thousand Doctor Who Christmas specials that have now been done <laughs> in the uh, in the last decade. Um they're 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 enjoyable at a, a they are they are crafted to be watched as as unlike in America, in England, one of the most watched T V days of the year is Christmas Day. It is a part of a tradition to turn on the T V after your your roast is is out of the oven and you've had your meal and then you switch it over to the BBC or ITV and and there are specials on and the Doctor Who Christmas specials which we've talked about on this podcast are um in general quite delightful in that they're big and fun and not meant to be they're meant to be watched on a full stomach of Christmas uh <laughs> roast and to be enjoyed on that level and in fact I would say the one from uh the one from last year which was uh, which featured Michael Gambon uh, as uh, the Scrooge-like character in A Christmas Carol, um, where the Christmas past and Christmas future are all determined by a, a certain character who has a time machine. Uh, was was a very Christmassy, uh, enjoyable episode, and there was also a shark that flies. There was that. <laughs> that had the great shot where uh, the doctor is take the, the doctor is showing like the 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 child version of the, of Scrooge uh, to him. And they go, oh, so I'm supposed to, my heart is supposed to melt when I see the innocent young lad that I was once was. Well, it's not going to work. And the daughter says, no, I'm showing, I'm showing the boy what a dick UT turned out to be if he doesn't start screwing up. You just be quiet. Oh, that's really beautiful. <laughs> that's when I became a Doctor Who fan of the new series. Oh, that's good. That's a good, that's a great little bit. Yeah. It's a, it's a great, uh, a twist on the, on the Christmas Carol that we hadn't seen. It's not Groundhog Day, mind you, but. A nice, tw- a nice twist. Dan, were you going to say something? Oh well, the only ones on my list that um, haven't been said so far, now that we've touched on Home Alone and the fact that half of us haven't seen it, are um, the uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, Thank which you. I think is just all right. And um, although it's it's a, a little bit of an earlier holiday, still falls in the holiday season, is uh, Plane Trains and Automobiles, <laughs> which. Um, I still get a kick out of, although it's Thanksgiving, but let's just pretend that they're going to said holiday movies. Yes. Yeah, holiday right. Season. So, yes, exactly. so there you go. That is Groundhog uh, Day works then, too. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I'm John Hughes. I've got one more, mm-hmm. uh, which is, again, a, a Christmas Carol story, which is Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, oh I, I can't get through the holidays without watching that at least once. And I it's, am always pleasantly surprised to find that there are things that I've forgotten or missed about it. All right. That it one is, I um, have not yet seen. We're, we're trying to watch that with That's my children. One. My children are a little sensitive and uh, we were we were not able to get past yet the ghost of Christmas past, which is not that scary because it's too terrifying to them. So we're working our way through it. Wow. Working your way through, struggling through the Muppet Christmas Carol. Little, my children are a little hothouse flower. They're lovely kids. They're gentle and sweet. <laughs> wow. All right, I got to mention one more because it has become an annual tradition around my house, and that is the Star Wars Holiday Special <laughs> with, with Riff Tracks. 
Uh, I believe okay. I've mentioned before, but it is, I believe, their finest hour. Oh, a lot, that's of, a lot of the tracks are hit or miss. This one is hit all the way. Um, and it's. It, the, I think the thing that's great about it is that um, they they sound like they had a bit of the nog before they got into the studio <laughs> because they're laughing a lot at each other's jokes, and it, it really adds. They, uh, they riff over the commercials, which are just the classic uh, 70s commercials. And uh, and they're just aghast at it, and and uh, and it really works because you can't help but be aghast at the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> Although I do want to say what one thing that I've always thought about that that uh, I think it gets a worse rap than it should just because it's Star Wars. Um, that kind of weird variety special was not that unusual in the seventies, and and the, the level of badness to which that sinks. <laughs> I don't think is as bad as some of the other ones that I recall seeing as a boy. You have to wonder if the Star Wars Holiday Special would not have such a place in lore if um, George Lucas had just said, all right, it's here it is, it's on DVD, you can get it, let's never speak of it again, instead of sort of hiding it away. It's probably the single piece of film from that period that he was entirely responsible for. <laughs> <laughs> no help from Lawrence Kasdan on that. That explains so much. <laughs> Well, this has been great. I think we've uh, I think we've covered a lot of really excellent uh, holiday fare that maybe we'll give our listeners some ideas of things that they can watch uh, over over the holiday season. So, until next time, when we will discuss oh I don't know maybe a Doctor Who Christmas special something like that. <laughs> I, I would like to thank my guests, Steve Lutz. Thanks for being here. Oh ho 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 ho. Serenity Caldwell, thank you. Now I've got a machine gun. Thank you. <laughs> Andy Anatko, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Merry Christmas, you one old building alone. Thank you very much. Glenn Fleischman, thank you. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, Jason. And Dan Fricks, thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm so tempted to sing the, the Billy Crystal uh, voicemail message from When Harry Met Sally, but I won't. <laughs> call me. If Pick up the phone and just call me. me. Pick up that phone and just phone moi. Call me, call and, me and I'll, I'll be, be around. around. <laughs> and then you're singing Surrey with a Fringe on top in front of Ira. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, there wasn't enough anger in your voice. Sorry. Maybe. Sorry. Dan. Thank you for being here uh, for the Incomparable Podcast. I'm Jason Snell. I don't have any clever holiday thing to say. I think I've been out-clevered by my panel. It wouldn't be the first time. So until next time, thanks for listening. Happy holidays, everybody. 